0: Welcome, listeners. The time for an awakening I getting get an understanding again welcome to the program this evening with your hosts brother Elliot and brother Richard The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832 That's 215-490-9832 We're streaming live at several locations you can go to timeforanawakening.com which is the home page and catch the live stream at that location you can go to www. Blacktalkradio network dot com forward slash Time for an Awakening. Again, that's www Black Talk dot com forward slash Time for an Awakening and catch the live stream there also. You can go to a bb dot mecom That's A B I B I T U M I dot com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there. They broadcast out of Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of the, any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In the TuneIn search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon. You can stream the program live, even into your car, if you had a Bluetooth capabilities audio auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening Radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at TimeForAnAwakening@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Again, that's TimeForAnAwakening@gmail. at gmail.com. Dot com. Time for an Awakening. Also, has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening Radio Program. There you'll always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. It's Time for an Awakening Radio Program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening Media is there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs. On time for Awakening Media, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out that Time for Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more, being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's uh, 7.07 here in the city of Philadelphia on this uh, frigid Sunday evening. And we're in the Sunday edition mode of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, activist, organizer, 60th District of New York Assemblyman. Assemblyman Charles Byron is with us this evening, and the the discussion will center around, although we're going to touch on a lot of different things with the the Assemblyman, the discussion will center around his new book, Speaking Truth to Power, Articles and Essays on revolution, Revolution, Black Radical Politics, and Leadership. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors.
1: Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. (laughs) Everybody is
2: here.
3: 21- 215 That number is two one five eight eight five two four four four. Two one five eight eight five two four four four. All insurance incorporated.
0: with your host, Brother Elliot, Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m., for podcasting or live program scheduling. Hit us up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening at seven twelve in this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. And before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum in Philadelphia at 7th and Art Street, Brother Richard. Is with us, brother Richard.
5: Yes, sir, brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I, it's chilly outside, but I'm warmed up because we got Baba Barren on, and 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 I, I want to say, Elliot, you know, I, and I think I said it Friday, and I want uh, Baba Barren to, under, to understand um, the model he represents—a mental model, a political model he represents to me. Anyway, and I and I have three: Louds County Freedom Party. Um um the Black Panthers Service program and the National Black Political Convention, and what Barbara Barron is doing and has done using the political system in his area. so I'm like really um really honored again to you know be in conversation and and he now having a uh, his the, the, his Bible, I'm gonna call it, um that we can read in order to follow what we should and could do to be able to celebrate our the power we have in utilizing the political system. So I'm I'm excited. I'm hyped.
0: Yeah, well, Richard, uh, this is 2022, and, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, they're scratching their head, especially people now, some of our people in South Carolina that uh, put their stock in the Democratic Party and these officials, whether it be Biden, Harris, any of them, and now all of a sudden, they're left holding the bag and scratching uh, and, and and wondering what we should do now. Hmm. Uh, I'm glad that we have folks on here. We've always had people on here that are doing things in the community, not speculating, not saying, well, I think we could do this, that are already putting these models in action. Uh, tonight's guest is no exception. He's been on with us on a couple of occasions before and we're always happy to have him back whenever he wants to come back. He's activist organizer and 60th District Assemblyman from New York City, Brother Charles Byrne is with us. How are you, sir? I'm doing
9: very, very good. And Brother Booker, my brother, we really appreciate you because we need to get information to our people. This is one of the most critical times that we're living in. The capitalist system is dying. Imperialism is dying abroad, but they are wounded and dangerous. And this is why we've gone through a period of Osadjifo, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah said in his book, Neo-Colonialism, The Last Stage of Imperialism. And this is why you see so many black faces in high places. This is why so many people are trying to push the Democratic Party on us because they know the gig is up. No matter how much economic and military and, and, and intelligence, FBI, CIA power that they have, the spirit of the people, as Brother Huey P. Newton said, is always greater than the technology of our oppressors. But thank you for having me on.
0: Uh, you know, we're gonna to touch on a lot of different subjects uh tonight. And and uh, before you leave us tonight, I wanna to, uh the conversation is gonna to go to the current New York leadership. and that's always gonna be mixed into this conversation. But before we talk about that, let's talk about the the book, uh Speaking Truth to Power. Articles and Essays on Revolution, Black Radical Politics, and Leadership. Um I don't have to ask the question of why you wrote this book, because uh when folks get the book, they'll see it's basically a testament to what you have been doing, your political life. So it, it's really no need for me to ask why you wrote it. The thing is, and I want you to kind of jump right into it, Is the importance, and and Richard and I talk about this all the time on the program, um, about the importance of our communities, especially localities where we dominate in population, to develop leadership among our people, uh, leadership that we can trust, leadership with integrity and dignity and have pride in themselves and in their people uh, with a code of ethics that is held by the people themselves. It's it's a very imperative that we start developing this leadership. It's uh, examples of of uh, black independent uh, entities doing that, whether you're talking about O'Malley Yashitelli and his organization. Uh, you can look at uh, Power, the organization that you started up there in East New York, as developing this leadership. Talk about it from your perspective and the book's perspective, uh Representative Barron, about the need for us to develop leadership in our communities, not the leadership that is developed by the dominant society to represent black people?
9: Critical question, and I thank you for that. You know, when we got involved in this electoral arena, me and we, us black revolutionaries, radicals, we said, you know what? There's always a question of power. Power is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter If someone doesn't like you because you're you're black and they're racist, it doesn't matter at all if you have power. So we looked at where the state power is. You cannot ignore state power. And in the electoral arena, we decided to use as a strategy the Democratic primary. Oh, man, they had a fit because they know we're not real Democrats. They know that we're using them. So we know that our people blindly vote Democrat. When you win a Democratic primary in New York City, you can go on vacation and they'll automatically vote you in in November in the general election because they don't even look at the names of the people on ballot. They just look for the party. Oh, are you Democrat? Like even in the Democratic primary, everybody's a Democrat. They say, you, you're Democrat? That's a Democrat? I said, brother, man. Everybody is. You need to find out where people stand on the issue. You need to find out their history. You need to find out who they are. Don't just ask them if they're Democrats. So the Democratic Party is our greatest enemy in New York City. They get these black neo-colonial puppets of the Democratic Party to run against us every time. They always raise more money than us. They lie and attack our character. And we have done so much that they they can't even deny it because you can't deny uh, Operation Power, whose two candidates, my wife ran for the state assembly. I first ran for the city council in 2002 and I won. And then uh, my wife ran for the state assembly in 2008, she won. And then after my uh, three terms in the city council in 2012, she ran for my seat and won. And then I ran for her state assembly seat and won. She was term limited out of the city council this year, last year, and I ran for her seat, and now I'm back in the city council. So they're having a fit with us. They can't get rid of us. The people vote us back in, and they know once we get in, we don't vote for their budgets. We don't vote for legislation. That's oppressing our people. We don't vote for speakers. We attack governors. We attack mayors. We attack speakers. We attack... All these folks that folk are sucking up to to get stuff. Now, here's the deep part, and then I'll get right into the book. Here's the deep part. Some of my loyal friends and some of our political analysts and experts, oh, oh, Brother Barron, you got to be cool. Now, if you're in the electoral arena, you got to learn how to play the game. Because if you attack the mayor, you're not going to get anything. for your district. So you might get your little revolutionary rhetoric off, but when it comes down to programs and things for your district, they're going to punish you. And you're not going to get any legislation passed. This is what they told me. However, on the contrary, I'm in this thing for two main reasons, the electoral arena. People say, well, what's the end game? My end game is to extract as much as I can in terms of material benefits for the masses. And secondly, I would never extract stuff from the masses without also raising the political consciousness of the masses, of the contradictions of capitalism and imperialism, and of the importance of radical politics, revolutionary politics, and being anti-capitalist and anti-imperialist. You, if you're getting them jobs, raise consciousness along with it. So that is our goal in being in this, in this arena. But oftentimes, once people get in and they claim they're socialist and radical, once they get in, then they start prioritizing political pragmatism over political principles of radical revolution and independence. We didn't do that. And in my beloved district of East New York, which has the highest crime in the city, highest homeless stuff in the city. And our years in there, it's going on 20 years now. we got three new $80 million schools built in our district. They were housing our children in trailers, teaching them in trailers, and they were freezing in the winter. we got three new $80 million schools. We have six parks renovated, some of the best parks in the city, and that's 40 50 billion dollars 20 million dollars worth of scholarship for CUNY students in the Martin Luther King scholarship we have a blackmail initiative we got funded thousands of jobs and 16,000 units of affordable housing affordable to the income of the people in our district nobody has done that and my brother you just don't have enough time on this program for me to list the other stuff that we got. So they're having a fit. Anytime you can disrupt the most powerful man in the country, Governor Andrew Cuomo, during his state of the state address, got up in front of 2000 people, cameras all over the place. When he started to talk, I jumped out of my seat and said, governor, you're a hypocrite. Don't dare you. And then confronted him. And people said, man, he's going to punish you. You're in trouble now. You'll never get nothing for your district. The governor called me up. Uh, Assemblyman, uh, um,
0: I'm not your enemy.
9: I want to bring a Shirley Chisholm Park into your district, and I want you to stand with me. I'm going to put $20 million to renovate it and all of that, and I want you to stand with me. I said, governor, bring the park in the district. It's the right thing to do, and my people need it. I will never stand with you. Publicly. Never. But you bring the park anyway because it's right. We have the Shirley Chisholm Park in my district. So I just laid out some of that stuff. So when people think that you got to go along to get along, you don't. Most of the people that are kissing parts of the anatomy that I'm kicking don't get as much as we got for our beloved East New York. So I wrote this book and I want to do a couple of things with it. I want it on record. I wanted a document to show the evolutionary and revolutionary trajectory of my political growth and development and actions. This about 80 articles that I compiled uh, over the years. And the first section is on revolution and black radical politics. I want people to know the importance of ideology. Ideology, a movement without ideology and vision is like flying a plane without radar you won't know where you're landing we can't create all of this motion without ideology and vision i also wanted the people to understand the difference between revolution and reform we must be revolutionary dr king just had a birthday he had a dream in 1963 and he evolved to a radical revolutionary vision by 1968. Dr. King was saying things like, you know, I tried hard to reform the institutions of the South. A little change here, a little change there. Now I think quite differently. I think we need a radical rearrangement of the entire society, a revolution of values. He also said that, Dr. King, that I no longer think that we should integrate, but have some integrating into a burning house, he told Harry Belafonte in 68. That burning house was colonial capitalism. And Dr. King was a radical. He was anti-capitalist, anti-imperialism, as is the state of war, you know, stance against the war, and he was a socialist. So all of these folks who think that socialism is DSA and Bernie Sanders and Eurocentric and Karl Marx. They need to study pre-colonial Africa and see what African communalism, African communalism is what the world has learned and called it later on communism and socialism. So this book does that. It also has a, a part in there, a chapter in there on leadership, principles of developing your leadership. How do you motivate people? What's the definition of leadership? Are leaders born or made? You know, a whole piece on leadership. Then I have another piece on reparations and political prisoners here in New York City. Because I was in the state assembly, I was able to get the Black, Latino, and Asian caucus in the state assembly to sign letters of support for the parole of Herman Bell, Seth Hayes, and Jalil Montague, Anthony Bottom. We got all three of them paroled, who weren't getting paroled. They were getting hit for two more years. For 40 years, all three of them got out. Fortunately, Seth Hayes made his transition after he got out. So the, we have another part in there on Operation Power and who we are and what our platform is. And then the most important article, How to Beat the Machine Without Compromising Your Revolutionary Rhetoric and Ideology. You could still beat the machine and still deliver stuff for your people. And then finally, and we can have some discussion, it is important to understand that this is the last stage of imperialism and capitalism, so we're going through a more sinister form of colonialism, neo-colonialism. The new way to colonize us, as they did in Africa, put black faces in high places who espouse the same colonial politics of the capitalist system. And that's why New York is a of black in power. We'll talk about the mayor in a minute. Yet we have more poverty, more unemployment, more crime, more police brutality than we've ever had.
0: <laughs> Richard, jump in here. Uh, we're in conversation tonight with activist organizer, 60th District Assemblyman from New York City. Brother Charles Byrne. is with you. You can join the conversation also by dialing 215-490-9832. Richard. Yes, you know, um, Barbara Barron. I, I would like you, as I was going
5: through, you know, um, the book, and, and I and I do encourage everyone to 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 get it, you know, to have it in their library and use it as a manual. When we, um, when Elliot was talking about leadership, there's one thing that I did notice that the section on leadership was um um very large. It was two sections that were large, and then mm. then you had another um, section. Where you, where which is titled "Beware of the um, Meritorious Manumission."
10: <laughs>
5: so, I, I like you. I, I like I, I like you to you know, in, in relationship to what you put over you know in that in that period that you were writing these and and reflecting about about um, on leadership and Meritoris, um manumission leader black leaders. Wh- wh- what what is it that you? Um, And you have that you want us to really tease out and understand as organizers and as political leaders within our community.
9: See, You know, um, thank you for raising that, my brother. It is so important for us not to be so focused on just having a black face and a high place. We have to see who these black leaders are. Dr. Lonnie Gwenaire, who recently made her transition, wrote a book. Called um, Tyranny of the Majority. And in that book, she said there are two kinds of black leaders. One is descriptively black, they look like us. And the other is authentically black, they are committed to us, they come from us. So we always want the first black this, first black that. We had the first black president, Barack Obama. We had Eric Holder as the U.S. Attorney, a black U.S. Attorney, a black president. The Democratic Party controlled the House and the Senate. We had Ferguson, Brother Brown, no indictment from Barack Obama and Eric. We had Trayvon Martin, Florida, no indictment from Barack Obama or Eric. They indicted no police officers. We had John Conyers, may he rest in peace, who now was the chair because the Democrats were in control of the Judiciary Committee where his H.R. 40 reparations bill was. It never came up for a vote, because Barack wasn't down with it, and John Conyers didn't want to put him on the spot. Now they're talking about, in Washington, H.R. 40, when Donald Trump was president and the Republicans had the Senate, now they're talking about Reparations bill, and they out of a whole lot of bills, people signed on to the reparations bill in Washington. And they're doing great work, not taking anything away from them. But you don't need the Congress. Joe Biden, your man, that you had to vote for to stop stop Trump. You didn't start Biden doing anything, but you were so caught up and traumatized by stopping Trump that you had all of us going for Biden. He can call a presidential executive order and set up a commission on reparations that will come with remedies, money, material things for the payment of the debt of enslavement and Jim Crowism. He hasn't done that. He hasn't even did the college loans for the youngsters. He hasn't even made them get no civil rights bills, voting rights bills, have nothing. And Kamala ha- Kamala Harris, hello, haven't heard a thing from her. But we got the first black vice president. We have the first black president. So this first black stuff means nothing if it ain't a substance. Blackness has to be defined more than African features, more than full lips and broad nose and coarse hair and ebony complexion. If blackness was determined by that, then Clarence Thomas would be the blackest man in America. <laughs> and we know that he is more anti black than any black person could possibly be. So, what we build in a movement to say we can't just have any black in position, and that meritorious manumission bill took place in 1710. They said that any enslaved African who won, did something wonderful to invent something to, for their European enslaver to make more money, they could be freed. And if they saved the European enslaver's life, they could be freed. And most importantly, if they snitched on any other Africans trying to escape they or movement trying to be built, they could be freed. But we got some meritorious, manumission black leaders running around here today. Because what they do is they say, as long as you, as long as you are a supporter of the colonial, colonial capitalist system, we will give you prestigious positions and we will give you resources so that you can uh, stay elected in these positions. L- listen to what Dr. King said about this. Quote, and this is in 67. The majority of black political leaders do not ascend to prominence on the shoulders of mass support. Most are selected by white leadership, (laughs) elevated to positions, supplied with resources, and inevitably subjected to suspicion, healthy suspicion that black nurture toward these, quote, unquote, manufactured leaders. That's what Dr. King called them. Manufactured leaders, Kwame Ture, Stokely Carmichael, and Charles B. Hamilton, in their book Black Power, said, "Black power means proper representation and sharing of control. It does not mean merely putting black faces into office. Black visibility is not black power. Most of the black politicians around the country today are not examples of black power. See, that's what we're talking about here." So what we did in East New York, yeah, I'm going to tell them I was a Black Panther. And when they said, you're a former Black Panther, I said, no, sir, I'm still a Black Panther in my heart. When they tell me, Charles, put on a shirt and tie so you can get in the state assembly, that's the required dress. No, I'm an African, born in America. I don't wear shirts and ties. Well, you're not going to be able to get in there. They had a whole meeting around me and said, leave me alone. I was the first male ever to enter the state assembly chambers without a shirt and tie. Now that may seem small, but it's big because they don't want you to set any examples and open the door for any other culture to do the same thing. So these are the things that we talk about in the book on how we got to get independent black radicals and radical simply means getting to the root of the problem. See, we often organize around symptomology. Poverty is a symptom. Police brutality is a symptom. Unemployment, mass incarceration, crime, miseducation, inadequate healthcare are symptoms. So if you just organize to respond to the symptoms and you don't organize around the root causes that create these symptoms, Colonial capitalism and its racist ideology that permeates every institution. So, if you don't organize against that, you're going in circles. That's why each generation we wind up still talking about poverty and unemployment. And sometimes it's worse in this generation than it was prior. I mean, mm-hmm. at least we did have, you know, places like Tulsa where we own black communities and in rosewood florida we own black communities what black community do we own now 21st century we have a billion dollar consumer market and we don't own nothing we are domestic colonies of a colonial capitalist system and we need independent black radicals to address this in the electoral arena and outside of it because voting is not a panacea
0: go ahead richard
5: you know and 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 what i take in 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 you developing that and you brought you brought your 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 personhood and 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 way i take i interpret you don't see yourself as a as an individual doing these things you're a part of a collective right right. and 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 because you're part of a collective and what you're saying in another section of the book and, and i'm going to be riddling off the you know the section so um, the mm-hmm. listening audience knows um, what's in there and what they're in store to get, um, even though they're hearing you, in order to um, uh, hopefully everyone go on and continue to purchase this. But you just framed, um, you know, something as far as the ideology. And and when we talked about leadership, it seemed that the, in that section, revolutionary nationalism and answer to domestic co- uh, co- colonialism is, is a perspective that a leader must come in to have or at least a perspective that you see couldn't be a winning perspective and you have exemplified that but for us what does what do we what how should we see what that means what does a revolutionary nationalism and what what is the challenge or why it is the answer to domestic colonialism
9: you know why I say it's an answer, not the answer? Some may have other answers. Some may say we need to all go back to Africa. Some may say we need to build a nation within the nation. But I see revolutionary nationalism that evolved out of the Black Panther Party and ran the Revolutionary Action Movement, these organizations in the 60s. What I mean by that is say, listen, we live in East New York, 95% of East New York. Is black and brown black and Latino Latina. 70 percent is black about 20 some odd percent is Latino we have the overwhelming majority in the population we don't own the land we don't control the police we don't control the hospital Crookdale Hospital we don't control the education system we don't control the businesses We don't control the means of production. So, when you are the majority in a population and people outside of your neighborhood are controlling all of the economy and the only thing you have is the political seats, you're not free. There you go. You're not (laughs) free. It's just like they did in Africa. Y'all remember. The colonial period you remember 1884 berlin conference carved up africa uh, spain you take that part france you take that part portugal you take that part. england you take that part you know they carved the whole place up and then they went into africa and even before that and they took over that's what colonialism is when a foreign state invades an independent state and takes over It's politics and economics and extracts resources and slave labor from that state to benefit the foreign state. So what they did is at one period in colonialism before the sixties, all of the heads of many African countries were white. Remember, Ian Smith and Rhodesia and you know, all of them were white. And here you had whites in South Africa, you had whites in control, that'd be about a million Europeans, 500,000 Europeans, in control of 20 million Africans. Then when the liberation movements came in the 60s and Africans started rising up, they said, what the, what? And they started rising up. They don't have enough bullets to kill us all, you know? And so they rose up. But what they did, the Europeans said, you know what? What we're going to do is find some Africans <laughs> you know, and put them in these political positions and grant them independence. Anytime you're a presser, grant you independence, you're not free. And grant them independence, have a ceremony, have a new flag, new name of the country. But you know what? That land, those resources that are under the earth and on top of the earth, we're going to continue to control that. So we went through that period. Kwame Nkrumah said, whoa, this is neocolonialism. We got to fight against the puppets. And so did Patrice Lumumba and Sekou Today in Guinea and Thomas Sankora and Cabrino Faso and so did uh, Julius Nayere in Tanzania. I've been to a couple of those countries. And you know what? They won. But what is happening now is that neocolonialism is in charge. So when you look at America, they didn't do that, America, in Africa as they did it here what they did is they transported colonialism to the southern plantations of America to the southern states of America and when they did that they stole the land from the indigenous people stole us from africa to build the foundation of the capitalist system don't think eon smith eon smith who uh, adam smith who wrote the book wealth of nations they said he is the the uh, father of uh, capitalism. No, no, he ain't. Did, he didn't do nothing. Your theft of the land, your theft of us. That's what built capitalism, not nothing intellectual. So we now come to our communities that are domestic colonies. And so the battle has to be for revolutionary nationalism, which means we have to take control. The first edict of the Black Panther Party is say, we want to control the destiny of our Black and oppressed communities. That's the first edict in the Black Panther Party's 10-point program. We want control over all of the institutions in the Black community that govern our lives. Let's start there. That's a form of revolutionary nationalism. But even if you control all of the institutions in Philadelphia and in New York and our Black communities, wherever we are the majority, you still have to deal with the host nation which is American capitalism. That's mm-hmm. why we call it revolutionary nationalism. You still have to form alliances with the Asian people, with the Latino people, with progressive, or with Africans and Caribbeans, all of us. We have to form alliances to fight against the whole nation of 320 million some odd people, which about 100 million is black and brown we still have to form alliances to say, even if we did get control of our community, we're still in the belly of the beast. That's what I mean by revolutionary nationalism. We have to gain some kind of control over the resources, uh, whether those resources are money, whether the resources is our talent, whether the resources is our vote, it has to all be voted for black power and black revolutionary nationalism. In the electoral arena, in the economic arena, and when we say economic power, we're not talking about black capitalism. We're talking about a form of economic African communalism, collectivism, worker cooperatives, and community land trust that we own as a people.
5: Hey, Ellie, if I can get one more question. (laughs) Go ahead, ahead, Richard. (laughs) You know, know, um, I was just... As, as, as you were, um, helping us see this, I, um, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm staying, um, to the text because I, I just, I'm just so excited about what you were able to, l- um, lay down in, in the writings for, for us to engage in. And, and, and I guess I will end on this, and, and, it, and it fits into what you mentioned. Um, you have a section that say the maze, uh, the amazing black child changing uh-huh. yeah. and repairing. And the reason it, it struck me is because um here in Philly, I want to tie to um right now, um, Cobra had elected two um young people and had to be um chair and co-chair. And mm. I'm looking and, and and we're talking about young, talking about twenty-seven, you know, in, in, in that age group. So when we were talking earlier about leadership and, and I'm just looking at um that this is that amazing, you know, that next generation of leadership. Uh-huh. And,
10: Mm-hmm.
5: I'm looking at the the, the the pieces that they're developing their reparations agenda around, which I think would speak to this, speak to what you're speaking about. But in that section, the amazing black child um, changing the world and repairing. And for me, the black child is our natural resource, is our political yes. economic yes. resource that we should be controlling and developing and manufacturing yeah. our own image. What, 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 what were you developing in that section?
9: You know what? I'm glad you raised that because that's one of my, it's, it's, a, it's a page long, but it's one of the most precious pieces in the book. If you look at the beginning of the book, I have my grandchildren in there, Solomon and Osai and Wesey and Khadijah and, you know, Jariah. These are these are my grandchildren. And then I said, hey, y'all, I'm trying to make this world a better place for you to grow up in, and that's that's my commitment. The amazing black child is an African child who was on the continent, pre-colonial period, pre-enslavement period, and was growing up and had rites of passage programs. And they knew what was to be a man and a woman at 14 and 15 years old. And they grew up in a village where everybody contributed to the village. If you were a hunter, you know, you contributed the food you didn't put it in a preserve somewhere and say come buy my food you, that's your contribution if you're a house builder you build the home and for the village if you are into clothing you knitted and, and did clothing and made clothing for the children you were a medicine man you were the doctor for the village so they blew, grew up in this communal collective environment protected and loved by their 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 grandparents <coughs> and their mothers and fathers only to see some european come in there and can you imagine a child looking at their elders as the most powerful people in their life to see them dehumanized like that at the at a with guns in them and put them in and ships and and have them like packed like sardines and and some jumping overboard and you know, taking their lives before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave. So this black child goes through all of that from like triumph and power and love and protection to that. So they get on the ships, they see all of that. They separate them from their parents. Then they hit the plantation and they use their footstools by some European children. And they, they watch and see their fathers and mothers hung and castrated and raped. They got a see that. What happens to the psychic of the black town? Then after they are free from so-called slavery, now they got to see police shooting down their mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and aunties and uncles and grandmommies and granddaddies like animals in the street. They got to see that. And then they see some black men and women buckling to this power and selling us out and Becoming Negro leaders that have no respect for our manhood and womanhood just so they can get some personal ambition, rugged individualism going, so they can become high officers in the colonial capitalist system. This is what the black child has been seen. But there is hope because there was a Black Panther Party for the black child and they became Panther Cubs. You know, there was Dr. John Henry Clark for the black child. Who a soul told the black child how important they were and said that we're not who we are based upon where the ship picked us up, or dropped us off from, but we're who we are based upon where they stole us from, Africa. So we have a revival and we have to make this environment suitable for the development of the black child.
0: Uh, Representative Byron, the um, and before I, uh, I'm gonna take a break and get because uh, some, some callers on the line. I want to get them involved. Uh, you can get involved and in, in line up uh, if you want to ask a question or comment by dialing 215-490-9832. four nine zero nine eight three two. We've got about four callers waiting. Uh, Brother Byron, the in chapter uh, part three of the book, it's it's an area, <clears throat> two areas there that I want you to talk about. And black political power under attack and redistricting, solidifying white power, breaking up black power. I want you to explain it from this this perspective. Uh we see that a lot of this redistricting is going on all it's not just in the South, all over this country. That's and right. they're especially targeting areas that is predominantly overwhelmingly black. Correct. Now, a lot of our people just look at the surface. They see, oh well, they don't want us to vote. Um, sure, you, you do have a segment of whites out there that don't want you participating in politics at all. But these whites that are in government, it's not to the fact that they don't uh want you to vote. They don't want you to use this politics as a tool similar to what you're talking about. So Uh these uh, uh, ideals of redistricting and things like that, this is a preventative measure just in case you decide to, and when I say you, I'm talking about some blacks pop up in different localities and decide to use some type of form of black radical politics as you're talking about to take control of the politics of their communities. This is a a preventative strike. Now, am I off base in looking at it? That, talk about it from your perspective. You, you couldn't be more on base. You know, one of
9: the things that the colonial system does, it stays a step ahead of us. Okay. So when, when we were talking about hey, we want to write the right to vote, and then they put some things in place to make it difficult for you to register, whether it was the you know, the tests that you had to take, a literacy test or grandfather clauses or all kinds of stuff to block that. Dual registration where you had to register in your local county and in your state county. And if you didn't have transportation to get to the state county, you couldn't register because you had to register in both places. They did all of that. But while they were doing that, they said, look, we're going to lose that one. They're going to eventually get the right to vote. So let's make sure when they do get the right to vote, that there'll be no district that has a majority of them <laughs> black people. So therefore they will have no black representation, even though they have the right to vote. So they had to start carving up our districts to make them weak. Adam Clayton Powell in New York, the way he became the congressman, because he was first the first black city council member. And then and another city council member, they don't talk about the history is uh, Ben Davis he was a black communist from Harlem that took Adam's seat after Adam went to uh, Congress. They had to redraw the lines because one third of the Harlem community was in white districts. So they carved it up so that one third of Harlem was in this white district, another third of Harlem was in that white district, and another third of Harlem was in that white district. So although blacks could vote, they were voting in districts that were majority white. So Adam redrew the line and brought those one-thirds into a district called Harlem, in the Harlem District, Congressional District, and it became 80% black. That's how he got elected. So now, in the 21st century here, now they're trying to redraw the lines so that there's less and less majority black population. So like in some of our districts that was 80% black, they're now, 60 percent black and some that was 75 percent black are now 46 percent black look at washington dc used to call it chocolate city now it's marshmallow city (laughs) look look at atlanta atlanta used to be 70 percent black now it's 51 percent black they used to have 13 black city council members and two uh latinos now they have seven whites and seven blacks and one latino because of the regional lines, one. Number two, because of the census count, we're not being counted. Whites are being counted twice sometimes. And then, you know, if they're on army base or if they're in a college, they're counted in their college town, in their hometown. So, and then redistricting. So, and then gentrification. Gentrification is a political move too. Because if you have communities that were 80% white, black, And then you bring in housing development, that uh, 80-20 formula, 80% market and 20% so-called affordable. The area median income determines that, and that's not even affordable. Mm -hmm. You're going to have more whites moving in the inner city. So all of these black communities are having less and less black population, and whites now can come in the district. And first, they're going to start off with Mm neocolonialism. They'll just have the Blacks that they control in office, and then after a while, they even get them out, and they'll take control of it. That's what I mean by that. So white power is being amassed through gerrymandering, I mean, uh, through uh, redistricting, through gentrification, and through the census count. So we have a dual problem. So after we fight for that and say, okay, we got our Black district, and we stop gentrification like we did in my district, we stop gentrification. But now we got to make sure that we don't have these sellout Negroes up in there after we did all that work to keep it black. And they're attacking me and my wife all the time. And we, I'm 71, she's 75. We can't stay here forever. And we have some of our young uh, people we trained and developed coming after us, but they got to have a real challenge beating the machine. And that's what we about doing right now. We're going to win, but it's going to be a major, major battle beating the machine because every, Ten folk ain't ten folk, and everybody black doesn't have your back.
0: (laughs) We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. You can get involved, too, by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're in conversation with activist, organizer, 60th District of New York Assemblyman Charles Barron. The topic is his book, Speaking Truth to Power, Articles and Essays on Revolution, Black Radical Politics, and Leadership. We'll be right back.
11: listening to time for an awakening time Time for an awakening Awakening with host brother elliot and brother richard on time for an awakening media part of the black talk radio network for podcasting or live program scheduling hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com
3: 21- 58852444 That number is 2158852444 2158852444 All Insurance Incorporated
7: I transformed a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven figure high end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in 3 states this is just one of the tangible transformations I've created for entrepreneurs in various industries around the country. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting and business consulting, then get ready to take down this invaluable information. Are you an entrepreneur suffering with a stagnating company? Have headache customer staff or vendors? Are you rebounding from a loss and need help achieving your unrealized potential? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? Hi, my name is Nataki Kanban. If you're ready to go beyond advising and coaching and get results, then call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions recommend and implement the best comprehensive sales, administrative human resources, accounting, and operations to help you grow into your vision for yourself and your company. Again, from anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072 or pull us up on your device right now and book your free consultation at www.NewBusinessSolutions.com. Just mention you heard this special announcement on Time for an Awakening.
6: RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. For
10: 12
2: years, I and others like me have held out radiant promises of progress I had preached to them about my dream. I had lectured to them about the not-too-distant day when they would have freedom all here and now. Amen. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith In people who had too often proved to be unfaithful, they were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And so the collision course is set.
1: The desegregation decisions and other type of legislation and Supreme Court decisions depends upon changing the white man's mind. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches uh, us that our own mind has to be changed. We have to change our uh, mind about ourselves. In what way? Well, so he teaches us the importance of moral reformation, uh, a knowledge of self. And uh, for instance, the average so-called Negro, he doesn't think that he can uh, go into business and provide jobs for himself. And because of this, he thinks that he can only get a job from the white man, or he can only get clothes from the white man, or he can only get food from the white man. And we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that uh, the same thing that the white man has done for himself and his kind, Uh, If our people could uh, be uh, wrecked, if if we could be cured of our slave mentality that was uh, indoctrinated into us during slavery, we would realize that just as the white man can do these things for himself and his kind, we can get together in unity and harmony and do the same thing for ourselves and our kind.
4: not wondering at all about them. What you- I'm concerned with the suffering and the pain of the masses of black people. No one wants to pay reparations. The Jews received over $100 billion in reparations and gets $4 billion annually. A Holocaust museum was set up for them on this soil for over $200 million, and they get $221 million annually just for operating expenses. But the Catholic Church, the Pope, the Jews, the Arabs, white people in general, no one wants to pay reparations to these, the sons and daughters of Africa. So I speak to them. I don't speak I speak to them. I don't speak to the family of those two Jews. There are too, too many of us for me to speak to them.
12: And one of the reasons why I'm always happy to come to this organization... Because you're the only one, you're the only black organization, again, that understands to put race first. Race first. Race first. And I've had some white folks to tell me that I was a flaming militant, a radical, or whatever all of these names were that they called me. And I said that I am very pleased that you've called me a nationalist because you could have said that I was a member of the NAACP of the Urban League. So I said, I'm very pleased of the names that you have given but I say that because we put race first, something is wrong with us. But everybody else puts their own first because God blessed the child who has his own. And so I think that race first is very important. And though we meet in a different venue, we're not at the slave theater, we're not at the church, we're now at the Masonic Temple, it really does not matter where we are physically. It matters where we are in our minds. And wherever we meet, as long as we know that we're Africans and as long as we know that we're black people living here in America we know exactly who we are you notice you can put an uncle tom in any venue in the white house you can even put him in his he will still be a tom you can put him anywhere you want. well it's the same thing with us who are strong people wherever we are we're going to be the people that we need to be
13: Encourage. Let me just say this before our time winds up. And that is, I want the people in the audience to go back and look at the video clip from Roots. It's entitled something like Breaking Kunta Kente. That scene opens with Lauren Green uh, sitting in who's the plantation master sitting in his office and then Fiddler comes in and says um, uh, we don't want to be too hard on the runaway. Kunta Kente has just run away and been caught and um, so the time comes for him to get his lashing." And if you look at this scene, it's about nine minutes, and study the scene, study the role of everybody or bodies that are in this particular clip, and you will find that there is an equivalent role in the political life of our country today, whether it's on the national level or on the local level. There's the black man who actually does the whipping of Kunta Kinte. There's the white man who does the whipping. There's the black man who intervenes with the boss man and tries to save the life of Kunta Kinte, there's Kunta himself, who eventually is forced to admit that his name is Toby, and there's a there's dozens of bystanders, black, who are watching. This is a very powerful thing. And it's an analogy of exactly what is happening in our community today. Let's give those characters names in our community and call them what they are and then take care of business about that.
0: Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8-10 in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, activist organizer, 60th District, uh, New York Assemblyman, Brother Charles Barron is with us this evening. The book, Speaking Truth to Power, Articles and Essays on Revolution, Black Radical Politics and Leadership. Again, you can join the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, Brother Barron, before we uh, uh, mix some callers in uh, the conversation, yeah. I, I want you to kind of just look back because in the book you talk about the importance of cultivating leadership among our young people to take our people forward. Um, looking back at, at, at you and, uh, and your life, because uh, I know that you were a Panther early on, Talk, tell, tell us some of your examples of leadership and things that kind of cultivated leadership qualities in you. Was it being a Panther early on? Was it just talk about it from, from that perspective. Some of the things that helped well, build the leadership character in you.
9: You know it really helped me I live I grew up on the, in public housing on the lower East side of Manhattan, uh, called the Lillian Wall Housing Project, or so we call them projects. They call them Housing developments now. But I grew up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, Lillian Wall Project. And I remember, uh, first, my coach, um, a man by the name of Leon Bligen. He taught me a lot about life, of course, my mom and dad, but outside of my family, Leon Bligen, he was a coach, and he taught me a lot of principles, a uh, uh, good principles in life. And he was scared to death when I told him I was in the Black Panther Party, because a brother by the name of Mark Holder, who uh, was a part of the Panther movement in Harlem and went to jail himself. And, and uh, Tony Martin, who lived on the Lower East Side, they used to come down. I used to organize black parties and, and organize tenants to, to get the management to act right. And I used to debate with them. I said, how are you gonna be revolutionaries? You got a big sign up on there, black Panther Party. You're just putting, you're making yourself a target, what revolution? So they said, brother, why don't you come up to Harlem and see what we're doing? And I went up to the uh, Harlem Branch, I think it was on 123rd Street at the time, 7th Avenue, and I saw how they were feeding breakfast, and I saw people like Afeni Shakur and Asada Shakur and, and um, was known as Joanne Chesimar then, and Michael Tabor, who was Seth uh, part of the Panther 21, Daruba Ben-Wahad, who was uh, Daruba Moore then. But, and I saw all of these people, and I used to just get my paper and go back down to Lower East Side. So they weren't, I wasn't really known up there, but I used to go back to Lower East Side, and that's where I met Felipe Luisiano and the Young Lords. They were organizing on the Lower East Side. Uh, Chacha Jimenez uh, started the Young Lords with Fred Hampton in Chicago. So these were the people, and then reading books. I read The Last Days of the Congo by Patrice Lumumba. That had a profound impact on me. Malcolm X's autobiography. And then the Panther Party gave me my ideology. You know, it went from black nationalism, revolutionary nationalism, communalism went on and on, and Marxist-Leninism and Maoism, the Little Red Book, and Kwame Nkrumah's axioms of Kwame Nkrumah. I've read that. And so I, I wound up all of my heroes, America hated. And all of the people that I hated as murderous dictators, America supported. So here I am talking about free Vietnam and Ho Chi Minh was a hero. And they supported the South and the murderous dictators and the Baby Doc and Papa Doc and, and Haiti and the Tantan Tan Macou, murderers. America loved them. We wanted to liberate them. We were impressed with the history of Haiti being the first uh, Western liberating you know, country uh, in, in the in Western Hemisphere. And so people like Toussaint Louverture, especially Deserline, who I particularly admired, and these became my heroes. Uh, Kim Sung in North Korea, they call them communists. America liked South, South Korea. And then when you look at um, Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, they were my heroes, the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, America liked the murderous dictator samosa and batista in cuba and america i like uh, uh, salvador allende the socialist in chile and they like you know Pinochet, a murderer marcus in the philippines a murderer so they supported all of these murderous dictators all over the world and i was being schooled to liberators that they were calling communists and dangerous to you know, america's freedom and all that kind of nonsense so that was mostly in, influenced my life. And then Reverend Herbert Daughtry in the 1980s, I joined the National Black United Front and ironically became the Harlem Chapter Chairperson of the National Black United Front. And I, I developed my leadership under Reverend Herbert Daughtry and the Black United Front, Baba g 2 and so many others that I've learned so much from. And then my wife and I we uh, founded Dynamics of Leadership, a leadership training company. We went across the country doing leadership training. So that was a part of my development. And right now, as we speak, just to make a quick correction, I'm no longer the 60th Assembly uh, member. I am now the 42nd Council member because I won that in last June. Oh, okay. And this young man by the name of Karan Allen, who we've been training, he's taking my place right now. We in a campaign against the machine to get Karan Allen elected. Dynamic young man. Uh, maybe one day well, I'll bring him on with me so you can just hear him. It, it, it's just wonderful to hear his commitment to black radical politics. A family man. He was working in my office in the assembly. So he's in a battle right now against the machine to, to get my seat. So this is what influenced me, reading books and being. Uh, uh, coming up at a time during this. The revolutionary period of the 60s, which is, was really uh, one of the best times you could be alive.
0: <laughs> let's let's uh, grab a call or two. Richard, I know, I know you wanted to jump back in here, but let me let me get a call, <laughs> too, and then I'll switch back to you. Let's go to 404.
14: 404? Hey, my brothers. Hey. How are you, sir? I love, I love uh, Hey, I'm still I kill man. Hey, I love uh, Mr. Barrett, man. Hey. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good, man. I'm dying here in the belly of the beast in Atlanta, man. But uh, it seemed to me, it seemed to me, man, we some of our people. I don't like to generalize everybody in the same bucket, but a lot of our people still stuck in some suspended animation, trying to uh, fix our problems like we're in 1960, okay? And see, for instance, uh, with this voting thing. With Dr. King, he got three generations doing the same thing. Dr. King himself, his children, not his granddaughter, okay, still begging these devils for the right to vote, man. And, 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 I mean, this is 21st century, man. To me, on one way out, because I know everybody got different ways of doing something. We got to be economic sanctions on these devils, man. That's the only thing I see: economic sanctions. So uh, I don't talk too much. I love to hear you uh, 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 illustrate and elucidate, like uh, and do your thing. But what what you think about that, man? About-
9: well, well, first of all, I think you're making a profound statement, you know, and I appreciate your analysis. And Atlanta is some place that I focused on a lot, I'm with the Shrine of the Black Madonna there, doing some wonderful things. But let me just say this about that: we cannot concede any field. To our oppressors, not the electoral arena, not economic development, not economic sanctions, not social institutions, not education, not health, not housing. We have to be battling at war in every field. Whether it's
15: it's,
9: say it again. I agree. I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. So so we got to fight in the electoral arena. We just got to make sure we don't get no Uncle Toms and ancient Mamas, and some sellout Negroes in there and making the fight worthless. But we have to fight in that arena. And even in economic development, it's a challenge. It's complex. And when you live under capitalism and you're a revolutionary and socialist and activist and all of that, man, this is a powerful, complex system. They're going to come at you, so, and they're going to have your own people attacking you. <laughs> so even in that, even if you do sanctions and say, okay, we're going to withdraw... There's very anything new under the sun that we haven't tried already. You know, Martin Luther King was talking boycotts, and and we talk sanctions now because we are a large consumer nation. But we have to keep battling until we get some clarity on what we really want to do. So let's do the sanctions. But after you finish the sanctions, then what? We'll give you another instance. If the police stop killing us tonight, and they decided they're not going to kill or disrespect another black person. All of that energy we're putting into police brutality, and we should. We should. But that's not going to change the system. That's not going to make us less impoverished. That's not going to make us less educated. Even if we get reparations now and we don't, free ourselves from the American plantation, we'll be well paid, but still on the plantation. (laughs) We need reparations with liberation. So I think you make a a strong statement. I like your spirit, but battle on every field. We don't have the luxury to say, we're not going to do this, or we're not going to do that, because no one thing is going to get us liberation. It's a combination of things.
14: And so I say use every tool in the toolbox. There I just put go, that out there to the person. And uh, right. Uh, you're right, man. Cause uh, hey, it's, it's, it's and, and number two, like you said, if the police quit killing us, the main thing is for us to quit killing us, man. That's right. That's how tough these these young folk and 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 old people too. We can't take that right. out on own soldiers. Yeah. And another yeah. thing that's good, I give you some good news, man. I know. Okay, uh, uh, down, here, down here is a school in Cobb County. By God, redneck Cobb County. Where what it what the students found out that their school was named after a, a Confederate soldier.
16: So these yeah. eighteen,
14: seventeen years old, they filed in the school board to change that name and take that name down. That's one thing. That's all, right. all right. the young folks That's doing. Stuff. And and, and right. then another one is, It's a so black people got uh, uh they they just open up uh a, a, a black grocery store mm. called uh uh at west all everything is autonomous okay no nobody right. has to worry about no no money to change in hand no paper money people don't have to get worried about getting robbed so that's wow. i mean that's the one way we get out of this mess man You they got you robots bad, and everything man. they got robots and everything but uh hey we're coming around we're gonna beat them man we're gonna win we ain't got no choice yes, man yeah. I, i'm I'm going to go ahead and, and shine the black and fade on out and, and let, let, let Elliot run it back to uh, regular schedule deprogramming. I know y'all.
10: Peace <laughs> <the black.
9: laughs> Love you too, brother. And I appreciate your spirit, man. You got the right spirit.
0: Let's go to uh, North Carolina. North Carolina, are you there?
15: Uh, yes, brother. I'm just listening in, but I am enjoying um, all the conversations and like the brother from Atlanta, we just got to keep working on um, each, you know, individuals. Then working on the families and the communities, you know, and just keep pushing, uh, brother.
0: Let me ask you something because, um, yes, sir. South Carolina was uh, one of the states that, uh, um, and, and, keep, and keep taking account that the majority of our people are not voting, but South Carolina was one of the states to push. Or the democratic party and Biden over the hump. Um, I think after super Tuesday, North Carolina uh, supported it. Also, what are the people down there saying now about what has been happening? What is some of the talk around, uh, that you've talked to maybe about from, from people that had been voting or that had voted and supported the, the party? What are they
15: saying now? It's, it's kind of, it's kind of, kind of both sides, brother. Um, some people are getting frustrated and, um, kind of just disheartening, but, um, then others are still pushing, you know, to continue on the fight. It's to me, it's, um, it's kind of disheartening a little bit to see things going like they are, but you know, that's, you know, that's the program, what we got right now. Well,
0: listen, I hope that the, some of the folks down there that are involved politically that have desires to, uh, to, uh, to understand, the leadership challenge that we're in uh takes a page out of a uh, brother Byron in his book because an independent way of thinking to move our people forward is the only solution right i agree with that i agree with that hey thank you for your contribution brother i appreciate y'all man all right let's go to 505 505
17: yeah can you hear me yes sir I'd like to ask Charles Barron, who are the Uncle Toms and the Andrew Mamas in politics today as we speak? That's what I'd like to know. Being that well, he's around them on a regular basis, I don't know them. Who are they? Give me that name. The well, in Uncle New York Toms City, and the Andrew Mamas.
9: In New York City, I call them neo-colonial black puppets of the Democratic Party.
17: Uh
8: huh.
9: And I'll give you their names. The head, New York City is a state of neo-colonialism. And you know what uh, I mean by that, my brother, that they put these black faces in high places to I'm continue. Sad. All right, you got it. So let me give you the name. Okay. Carl Hasty. He's the head of the New York State Assembly, black man. Andrea okay. Stewart-Cousins, a head of the New York State Senate, black woman. Tish, Letitia James, Attorney General in the New York (laughs) State. Jamani Williams, the Public Advocate in New York City. The mayor, especially the cop mayor, Eric Adams, who hired a black police commissioner female and a black uh, uh, chancellor of the education system The head of the Black Democratic Party, King's County Democratic Party, largest Democratic organization in the country, Rodnice Bouchette, a black woman, Uh neo-colonial puppet. The black head of the Democratic Party in Manhattan, Keith Wright in Queens, Congressman Gregory Meeks in, Uh in, in, in the Bronx, Jamal Benjamin, all of them. Look at that. We have uh-huh. black district attorney in uh-huh. Manhattan, a black district attorney in the Bronx, a uh-huh. black borough president of the Bronx, a black uh-huh. borough president of
16: Queens.
9: All uh-huh. of that black in these high places, and we got more black unemployment, more black poverty because they are
17: neo-colonial puppets of the Democratic Party. Okay. Let me
9: ask you this. Where would you put Al Sharpton in all all that mix? Al Sharpton, to me, has become a tool of the oppressors to make it appear as though, you know, he made his reputation fighting against police brutality and helping families, and he has helped some families. But Al Mm -hmm. Sharpton, they put out there in front because they know he is a supporter of a colonial capitalist system, and they know he will never buck the system. So instead of Al Sharpton being like Dr. Martin Luther King, his mentor, who yeah. uh-huh. said, I'm a revolutionary, ask Sharpton, this, uh, Sharpton love Dr. King, he should be a socialist, like Dr. King. You know, right. none of these black leaders, you wanna find out where they are? Ask them to call for the dismantling of the colonial capitalist system. They'll speak out against racism. And now you uh-huh. know I fight against racism every time it raises its ugly head. But when you right. just focus on racism, even yeah. racists are talking out against racism. But <laughs> okay. try to get one of them to talk out against colonialism, capitalism. Yeah. They will not do it. Martin Luther King, when he decided to go back to Washington, in 1968 for the Poor People's Campaign. It wasn't to make some speeches. He said, I'm going in there to pick up my check for reparations, and we're going to stay there, build Resurrection City. We're doing militant civil disobedience. We're going to attack all of the institutions, and we're demanding a $60 billion anti-poverty program that the newly elected Congressman John Conyers put forth. And if we have to stay on the runway of the airport, we won't let planes take off. They'll shop and they'll go and, and do that. Continue the work of Dr. King. Don't be fronting and going out in all these demonstrations. They have the George Floyd uh, package now that Biden ain't passing. Biden's not passing voting rights. So they get sucked up in yeah. making this
4: one leader.
9: Somebody uh-huh. that – and this guy, uh, Trump,
17: whatever, I don't know where he came from, but let me now, tell you, now, I, don't I, don't know you. This I, I don't want to You're cut not, you off, but this book, this book that you that you have out now, is all that information in this current book that you have on the market now?
9: Absolutely. If you look at my article on New York State, a state uh-huh. of neocolonialism, it's right there. Uh-huh. Yeah.
17: You now, know what I let let try let not public.
9: to do, brother, yo, to yo, be, yo. be honest yeah. with you, what I try not yeah. to yeah. do? Uh, Because I I was always beating up all these leaders all the time. But a person like Chopin, I try not to even mention him. You know? Okay. And and I do a critique of it uh, because people need to have it critical. But he don't care what you and I say about him. The only thing that matters to them, the only thing that's going to matter to Eric Adams in New York is if I organize some of those progressive city council members, we have the power to stop his budget when give more money to police and poverty. That's what matters.
0: Hey, thank you for your contribution, Bill.
17: Brother brother. Alton Alton Maddox, where is he in this this equation? Alton Maddox I haven't seen in
9: a while, but he was one that I favored. He was one that I admired. Alton Uh Maddox was consistent. He would come out there, and he would defend people pro bono, and Al Sharpton would get this white lawyer, Rubenstein, to get all the money. You know what happens when Uh they take these cases? We fought for automatics to get his license back, and he still needs his license back. But when they take these cases, this is what I want you all to understand. This is critical. When you see them supporting families and these lawyers coming out, and they have a civil suit, remember, they're not the lawyers for the state. The DAs are Mm -hmm. to get the criminal charges, and then the federals. Of government, you Justice Department should do the civil rights charges. That puts right. people in jail. These folks are out to make money. So what happens right. if they take a case, they're hanging out for the civil suit. You know why? Because the civil lawyer gets one-third of the settlement. So when you see the George Floyd family got something, they settled out of court. They don't even try a case. They all settle out of
17: court. So that's what Crump is doing now. Attorney Crump, yes,
9: all of them, all of them make millions of dollars because <laughs> they get one third of the civil suit. One okay. third,
17: yes, And sir.
9: then so uh, Shapton gave all of this to this white guy, Sanford Rubenstein, who who is a flying mold instead of Alton Maddox and and Vernon Mason and others uh-huh. who were in the movement. This guy Rubenstein was a white lawyer who had some money shopping for right. him all the cases. Still does that. And then, then, okay. then all of a sudden, Trump came out there. I don't know where he came from. But when right. you see them standing next to these victims, they're right. standing there for the civil suit, which is about money, not justice.
17: Now, not to cut you off. I just want to ask you one last question. Okay. You know, you, you remember Timmy Shine? Yeah. Is he still alive? Because I played ball with Timmy Shine. Is he, oh, you're
16: from the Lower East Side?
17: You can say that we get back in the day, you know. But we yeah, play I don't that know
16: also. what Timmy
9: we,
17: Shine is doing.
9: I don't think he is, but I, I want to say that.
17: What's the last time you seen Timmy Shine? Do You remember? Oh
9: man, that was like decades ago. I haven't seen Timmy oh. Shine in a okay. long time. He was
17: a cool guy though, man. Yeah, when well, we played ball on Six on Sixth Avenue and uh, Fourth Street before. yeah, before that yeah down in the village. Into a, huh? Down in the village, right? Oh yeah, on Sixth Avenue, across from the movie theater.
9: Yeah, yeah, I used to be down Timmy, there.
17: Well, you, I'm 80, so you're younger than me. But Timmy, am well, We used to ball down the there. <laughs> What's that? I said I'm 71, so you got me. Oh yeah, yeah, but 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 Timmy, we used to play down there every Sunday before before the place got popular. We made it right. popular, mm-hmm. and then it became a tourist trap. Exactly. See, and Grandpa house. Hey, what?
9: I said, "Go ahead. I appreciate this. Go ahead."
17: Yeah, Grandpa Al Lewis had a restaurant up the street. You remember I Al remember. Lewis? To lunch?
9: I remember. He
17: he was he joined the Green Party and ran for governor. Yeah. Well, Grandpa Al used to come over to the to the park every Sunday. We started around 12, 1 o'clock, mm-hmm. and we finished. Nobody could take us off the court because we, I know. Uh, we had a crew that was unbeatable. You remember Roger Brown and Connie Hawkins? Oh yeah,
9: yeah. I used to go down there and watch them games. That was almost similar to the Rucker tournament up in Harlem, but well, you know, the, not Rucker was,
17: the Rucker was was going on at the same time, but we started right. down on started it down because they they refurbished that park. It used to be raggedy. It was right, playing like right, up and right, down hill. Right. But, mm-hmm. but 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 uh, but Grandpa Al was a big basketball fanatic. He used to follow the Knicks all, all over the country, you know. But he had a mm-hmm. restaurant. And after mm-hmm. we after we ball, we'd go over to his restaurant, and he would mm-hmm. give us food and drink, and 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 whatever was. Bob, Bob Dylan started right on that corner of Fourth
9: Street, Sixth right.
17: Avenue, playing his guitar with his raggedy ass self, right? That's right. <laughs> see, but see, I'm just I'm just giving you a little little history from back in the day. We talking, we talking, you, about, we talking back in sixty four, sixty five.
9: I got you, bro. Yeah.
17: Yeah, but listen. All right, thank I'm gonna, you, man. I appreciate yeah, I, that. I'm going to try to get that. What's the name of that book again?
9: Well, the book is called Speaking Truth to Power, and you can go to Barnes & Noble online uh-huh. and just put in, when you go to Barnes & Noble, put in Charles Barron, author, okay. and yeah. this book will come up, Speaking Truth to Power.
17: You still have an office somewhere on Vermont and New Lots. Last time I was in New yeah. York, you had an office. Yeah, That's You had nice. an office somewhere. Then you moved over to Pennsylvania and and. Wow. And in somewhere somewhere else. Pennsylvania and Hegeman. Uh, yeah. uh, well, I live in New Mexico. I've been out here for 25 years, oh, oh, but I come, through, I come through the neighborhood. I live in wow. Starrett City. I, go, oh, yeah. I live so in Starrett know. City. Oh. I play ball at the BRC, the Brownsville oh, yeah, Boys BRC. Club.
9: We, we funded the BRC and built.
17: Some parks around there, and put millions of dollars into the BRC. Yeah, but see, you're a little you're a little younger than me because back in the day, you know, I didn't know you living in the neighborhood back then when I was growing up. See, yeah, no, so, I grew
9: up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I didn't grow up. In, I know it. You yeah. grew up. You
17: grew up. On, you grew up on the hill, right? No,
9: matter of fact, we used to fight the boys from the hill. I was <laughs> I was with the Avenue D boys, you know, the Avenue D and Sixth Street. On the Lower East Side. We used to go up to the hill to play ball, and we have to, you know, keep your clothes on the bench because you have to run home. <laughs> now, you, met- you
17: mentioned this coach that you that inspired you. What was his name Leon Bligian. Well, Leon Bligian. Leon Bligian. Now, now, how old a guy, was he born, like, in the 40s, like me? Yes. He's about your age now or older. I'm 80. I'm, I'll be 81 in March. Yeah, he's about 85. Is he still alive? Yes. Because I played ball with him and against him down at the Albert. Albert. Uh, Albert
9: Smith. Albert Smith.
17: Al Smith Houses. They had a gym Al down Smith.
9: there. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. He used to well, coach listen, our man, team. I, he used to play there. Remember the Education yeah. Alliance? Edgy?
17: Yeah. Are you still yeah. balling? Well, I'm 71, and if I get I'm in eight, shape, I'm, I'm I I'm can... 81. Well, I'm 80 and I still Well, roll. I think I you can put a hurting roll. on your brother, if I get in the So don't mess doubt. with me. I have
9: a jump shot. <laughs>
17: no, no, no. That ain't going to work. That ain't going to work with you. I doubt that. It ain't
9: going to work. Let me tell you something.
17: Check this out. When I come to the neighborhood again, after all this bullshit, academic, uh, whatever you call it, this nonsense they got going with these, with these you know. I'm gonna look you up, and I'm gonna we going go right over to VRC. I'm gonna see what look, kind of games you got. Look,
9: let me let me let me just tell you now. I talk trash, but I ain't messing with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
17: because whenever I, I was there three years ago, Wall Fraser, we had a. I went to Boys High. We had a reunion at Wall Fraser's restaurant three years ago, 2080 mm-hmm. in August, and uh, everybody showed up and came to Wall Fraser's.
9: Well, look, you know what I'm
17: gonna do, brother. I'm, I'm gonna tell them to give you my number offline, so you don't take up all of
9: their their airtime. But I want to talk to you, man.
17: Yeah. Well, listen, man. Here's the deal. I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna cut out. But listen, I understand you're doing some great things. I remember seeing you around from time to time. You were coming to the. Uh, they used to have the old timers thing on Friday. Yeah, old timers thing yeah, on
9: Brownsville. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah,
17: yeah. But listen, man. I see. I, I grew up with all Tony Jackson, all of Danny Carey, oh, yeah. all of the- yeah. I named so listen, the street after Greg Jackson. You did. Now, when I come through there, I don't know when this thing is gonna cool out. But I will. You still, but you still have an office on what is it, on Pennsylvania and. Well,
9: right now and, the office is gonna be on new lot between Vermont and Wyona.
17: Okay. Here's the deal. My name is Butch Robinson. I was elected in Brooklyn. When okay. I come through there, I'm Marvin Gaye's cousin. When I come through there again, I'm gonna look you up.
9: Come on, man.
0: I'll be looking forward to it. <laughs> Later. <laughs> Later, man. <laughs> uh oh. You got a challenge coming in for <laughs> the Listen, we're going we to take another brief break. And when we come back, there's two callers waiting uh, 215 and 646. Uh, hold on until I to the break, and we'll be right back. Um, anybody else that want to try to slip in here before we wind things down, you can do that by dialing 215 490. 9832 that's 2154909832 we'll be right back
6: RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter. Serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today,
15: 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. abibitumi.com, 2 mecom Abib2Me.tv, 2 metvcom 2 mestore are here for you. You are ready to be free to join your global Commit to You Black family, to join your interconnected Commit to You Black communities. Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, mestore We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation.
18: That this problem needs to be solved, and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth, while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. The brother said responsibility is it is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table the power that's in our community the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America we have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you.
19: We have a message to the black man because the black man today is a man who has been made now almost into a laughing stock nobody takes the black man serious we are just used to be somebody's tool we are the sportsmen we are the singers and the dancers and we're also labeled as the pimps and the criminals and the drug dealers and the killers and the vagabonds of society. We're the bogeymen of British society and other Western systems. And we want to dispel that lie and destroy those myths and put the black man back on the map where we belong. Who is the black man? The black man is the original man. If it wasn't for the black man, no other men could be on this planet. We are the fathers of humanity. We gave birth to all of you.
4: are the watchmen on the wall. You are too. You watch with a political eye. We watch from a spiritual eye, but we're supposed to be the watchmen for the people that vote for us. The sad thing is the people vote, but they don't give you the money to run your campaigns. So here come big business. How are you? How are you, Judge? How are you, Alderman? (laughs) How are you, Congressman? How are you? How are you, Reverend? (laughs) What can I do for you today, Reverend? You can't do nothing for me. See, that's what we got to be careful of. We got to be careful of who we bow down to. You see, when you get in your congregation and you talk this Jesus, this powerful Jesus, that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power in his hand, then you go with your hat in your hand to Uh the governor, to the mayor, to the president, begging for some crumbs. You have sold your God cheap. And you make the white man downtown disrespect all of us yeah.
11: time for an awakening is a proud part of the black talk radio network the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform.
0: Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8.48 in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. And uh, we're coming down to home stretch with, with, with our guest, Assemblyman uh, Charles Byron. And you can join the conversation too by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, Richard, Yes, yes. Before we pick up our last two callers, uh, I know you want to uh, uh, jump in here with a couple more things. Uh, well, you want to hold? You know, it's up to you.
5: Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, put to the callers. Okay,
0: let's go to. Uh, you know what? Before we uh, take on our last uh, 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 callers, uh, Brother Baron, uh, the caller brought up New York City politics. Um, I noticed something that you did. And I spoke with this. To Richard, when I read the article that uh, you put in the Amsterdam News, um, it didn't surprise me um, the type of, of uh, uh, politician, and I use that term because, it's, uh, you know, I, there's no other way to describe it, the type of person that you are politically, i put it that way, that you went to and put your opinions about, uh, this upcoming New York budget and a hundred million dollars and a lot of it should be coming back to the community and your feelings on why you're voting a certain way. That's something that you don't see, uh, black elected officials doing. They just don't do that. They should do it, but that's they, right. they don't do it. Uh, we got, and similar to how New York is going now, Philadelphia has been like that for a number of years. Where Until this white mayor went in uh, uh, this last uh, term or two, we had black mayor, black city council, black police commissioner, black fire, black school chief. Everybody was black, Uh Uh overwhelmingly predominantly council black. But none of them went to the community and told the community anything. In fact, we got Uh a terrestrial uh, station here in Philadelphia, which is the only black-owned black talk station in Pennsylvania. When the black politicians come on there, they don't even take calls. You can't even ask them anything, which is a total mm-hmm. disgrace. But I just like, you know, you went to the uh, the Amsterdam News and put your opinions out there so all of the public, and especially your public, can read mm-hmm. your opinions and why you felt that way. And now let me say something, because you said something in reference to Adams in that article. And... And just to show you how the media likes to use these people, and you, you uh, described it in the time you've been on this program. Now, to, to our people that don't understand what's going on, they look at New York and see Adams and all of these people in, poly, uh, in these political offices, and uh, it's some type of badge of honor and pride. When the people's needs... Our people's needs are not being met and they don't intend to be met. But in the December published report, December seventeenth, I think it was in the New York Times, uh New York's mayor elect says that he'll restore solitary confinement. All right. Now we know what solitary confinement has always been used. In fact, some of our political prisoners that, that are still sitting up in the belly of the beast been in confinement for decades which is cruel and inhuman now he said that he's going to reinstate it he also said in december that he was going to bring back stop and frisk And, and he said today in a published report that i just read that after the cop was killed in harlem uh a couple of days ago that he was going to bring back this plain clothes unit that had been shut down since 2020 because of the abuse yeah. of black citizens. So it, it, j- before we go to our last couple of callers, just talk about this from your perspective of what's really going on. Our people are, are, are feeling pride in what's happening, but something else is going on right in front of their face.
9: First of all, he said all of these things before these cops were
0: killed. Okay. He said
9: he was bringing back Giuliani. Anytime the most racist, vile mayor in the history Of New York City uh, politics, Rudolph Giuliani tells you the election of Eric Adams means that New York is going in the right direction. You know there's something wrong. Uh, So he said he was bringing back that racist street crime unit. And for those of you who don't know, these were these undercover detectives or plainclothesmen that was roaming our city, abusing our youth, cussing them out, stopping and frisking not writing out the report, they still stop and frisk, they just don't write out the report. So they say stop and frisk is down, but the order is you can stop and frisk anybody you want, just don't write out a report that you did it. So that hasn't gone anywhere. And then he wants to bring back with United Nations and all human rights organizations that solitary confinement is inhumane. And matter of fact, if you're concerned about violence in prison, Well, you had solitary confinement, and it was still violence in prison because it doesn't stop violence in prison. And if you're concerned about using police containment, turning us into a police state in order to bring down crime, well, when I first came into the city council, the police budget of the NYPD was $3 billion, and there were 25,000 police. Now it's $11 billion. They say $6 billion, but you add on all the overtime again, it's $11 billion and 40,000 police and crime is still rising. We have tougher sentences now. We have, um, he wants to bring back solitary confinement. He wants to bring back the street crime unit. And he wants to also <clears throat> uh, bring back uh, how the, the young people are dealt with uh, in in our in the cities now, he's doing all of this not to make our cities safe for our communities, but he's doing this because he has billionaire white conservative businessmen from the real estate industry and other places that fund his campaign. He was just in the news today. This this billionaire, that's one of his international commissioners or whatever, was the, a supporter of Trump and and everything else. So he is doing that so that the city is gonna be perceived to be safer so that the millionaires don't leave. So it has nothing to do with us. So here you have a man that is a cop. He was a cop, always has been a cop. And I've known Eric for 40 years. Me and Reverend Herbert Daughtry, he was with us in the Black United Front. He says, we his mentors. Well, he went way astray from us when he got into the electoral arena. So he is gonna, the two major devastating industries for our community is the police and the real estate industry that's buying up property and gentrifying our neighborhoods and exploiting us with their businesses, their commercial stuff. He is, that's what's behind Eric Adams. That's what's behind the first black woman or the first black uh, speaker in the City Council of New York. She is also backed by real estate and she's also pro cop. So that's what we're facing. And the only way that they keep them in check is if we have the 51 members of the city council, 31 now are people of color and the majority is also women. If these new members can now stop his pro-cop budget and make it be more um, pro-poverty eliminating and stop his real estate when the developers come by the city council, don't approve their projects, unless they're 100% affordable for people in our community. That's what we have to deal with them. And for people who say, sometimes they say, Charles, you don't like working with nobody. He's just a long range radical. I worked with Al Shopton when I first went out there, against my better judgment, saying, man, the guy's a hustler. He ain't no good. But I worked with him. I went to jail with him. We had a day of outrage. But it got to the point where, There's no redemption. There's no converting these folks. So so we don't work with him anymore. I don't even talk to him anymore. I tried to work with Eric when he was borough president. No redemption. You know, I worked. We voted for Barack Obama the first time around, not the second time around. So all of these black politicians we tried to work with. Now we have a point now, later for all of that, you either a black radical revolutionary wanting to get into electoral arena or get out of my face.
0: Let's go. Ahead. Let's go to two one five. Two one five.
9: Good
8: evening, brother Elliot.
0: Good evening, brother Richard. And good evening, brother Barron. How you
8: doing,
9: my dear brother? I'm doing fine, thank you very much. Good evening.
8: Oh, all praise be to our Lord. You know, brother Barron, many black politicians don't talk like you. You 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 you're a rarity, to, to say the least. You, you know, brother Barron, when you're talking about sellout Negroes, like you was talking to the previous brother, don't forget how King Jeffries and that Negro. <laughs> it, 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 I can't, I don't, I'm against reparations, Jeffrey, and that nigga up in Buffalo, New York, where my family live at, who's the black mayor, up there, who they cheated, who the Trump people and the white bigots joining in, did not endear war. Byron Brown. Byron, it's Brown. It's Byron Brown. My sister Ann, who, who I love daily, she sent me so many articles brother bill, bro, but he is what a traitor, a sell house nigga that he yeah. is. I mean, I mean, he's a disgrace, man. That, people in the town, so need to be aware of him, Byron Brown, who's the black mayor of, New, uh, of Buffalo, New York, he is a disgrace in this life, and he's a disgrace in the next life. Make, make, I don't have time to go into details. I know y'all show on time, but if our people just don't know what a traitorous Negro he is to the black community. But anyway, Brother Barron, you know, when you was talking about America and, 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 and how they had, you know, all the stuff they did around the world, supporting murderous dictators, you know, one, one, one caveat you can throw in there, uh, uh, Brother Barron, is, again, America always on the wrong side of history in 1953 the country that they call Iran, which is really Persia, they are, the people over there always talking about fair elections, but the people of Iran elected Mohammed Mosaddegh to be their leader. And they didn't like the and America didn't like him, so they overthrew him, and they put the murderous Shah of Iran in. Correct. So so, we, so so they so they always when they talk so when they, so even when the people vote for somebody who they don't like this stuff they always say free free and fair elections but it don't go their way and they don't like the leader they either try to destabilize the country or murder that leader so this is what America does they have a history mm-hmm. doing that and, right. and you know and, and you know brother man I was telling brother Elliot the other day see this shows you how this white media is complicit. And white people's supremacy, so called white supremacy and racism. They have no integrity. Now I don't look, look Brother bad I don't like no country and country. I'm not down with a Russia going into Ukraine and all that. I mean like like, like in nineteen eighty when, when Russia invaded a Muslim and, I, and I'm a Muslim and when they when they invaded um, when they invaded uh uh Afghanistan the President Carter correctly, you know, sitting in a team for the Olympics and stuff like that, he, he he did what he thought was the press. But see, my whole thing, like I said, brother, they they have no—it's no accountability with America because why are well, you going to sit there and, and threaten rest sanctions into uh into Ukraine? But where, where, where was the where was uh uh, uh the, the media in this country called out the United States when the, when the world, the whole world, told the United States don't go into Iraq, they told them don't go into Libya when they had that handkerchief of shit here to bomb president, they told them don't go when Reagan was president. They said don't go into Grenada where they overthrew and murdered Maurice Bishop." Wait, 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 they, no, America did what they wanted to do. So I guess Russia looking at it like who the hell is you to tell us that we can't invade when y'all do the same damn thing? And you don't have nobody in this media that's got any integrity to call America out for their hypocrisy, Brother Bear. And this is why this colonial, neo-colonialism with America goes on and on because nobody in the media calls them out. And like Minister Farrakhan kind of said years ago, white people's racism
9: is manifested through the news media well right. well you know i would encourage all who are listening to get on youtube and and see minister Louis farrakhan's breakdown of what happened in afghanistan and what's happening in the middle east it mm-hmm. is worth the study every young person should really study that and that's why I always look forward to the Savior's Day messages from Minister Farrakhan and how he breaks down this international stuff. You know, and when you mentioned um, Afghanistan, but even when the early socialist government, the people chose socialism in Afghanistan.
8: That's correct. And the
9: only reason why Russia went in is because Jimmy Carter, and remember Zabrinsky? Remember that guy Zabrinsky? Zabrinsky yes, I do. Zabrinsky, yes, I do. His, right. They decided that they didn't want this socialist government. That's correct. So the socialist government said, wait a minute, they're trying to put us out. Mm-hmm. And they came up with the, this, this group. You you remember, they weren't called the Taliban. It was before yes. the Taliban. Speak it, it was better, a, bear speak. It was a group mm-hmm. before the Taliban.
10: Mm-hmm. There was a picture
9: of them meeting with Reagan in their office. That's right, Zabrinsky. This group met and said, "We will stop this socialist government." That's the only why, reason why Russia went in, because the socialist government said, "Could you help us, America? Is going to take us out." And then <laughs> that group became from the from the Taliban. They then later became the Taliban, and then they started negotiating and fighting and all of that stuff. So America was never fighting because the Taliban was um, oppressing women and all of that stuff, because the first government that they had in there of uh, the socialist government, they were not oppressing women.
3: Exactly. And America
9: was against them. Exactly. So when you look at what's going on in the Middle East, and I traveled to um, the um, Gaza Strip. They told mm-hmm. me I couldn't go because it's Hamas. And I said, no, 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 no. If Speaker Quinn, and y'all can go to Israel. I'm going to Gaza. I pray for you to brother. I pray for you to live. And I saw what they did in the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. And Hamas, now look, Hamas used to never deal with elections. They used to mm-hmm. do, do their fighting. So they said, you know what? Let's get involved in the elections. And they mm-hmm. won.
3: Mm-hmm. And they
9: won. So now they had... Uh, uh, we we brought like $2 million worth of humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip. Oh, I remember trying to get through, and we was in Cairo, Egypt, and mm-hmm. they didn't want to let us through the border. was called Rafa, the border. Yes. Israel called up the—I had to meet with the foreign minister's office in Cairo to get us to get through the border at Rafa. They called them up. Don't let them through. We had about 200— You know, millions of dollars worth of humanitarian aid. So the the, the brothers said, listen, uh, we know Israel is putting a lot of pressure on us. Uh, We're going to let you in. But please, 24 hours, make your delivery and get out of there. And so we brought humanitarian aid. And I'm telling you, what Israel is doing to the Gaza Strip, they act like they did them a favor. They gave them back the Gaza Strip. First of all, it wasn't yours in the first place. Exactly. Secondly, Secondly, when you know... What they're doing, you, nothing can get in through the air. They, and from Gaza, they have a, a, a battle boat, battleship in the waters. Nothing can come through the water. Cynthia and them, Kenny and them tried to get through. They rest. I remember down. that. Yep. And nothing can come through by land, but we were able to get in. I went, and I saw the conditions. It's like a blown up. I mean, it is horrible. They they blew up. The whole place is blown up and no central source. So they have these underground tunnels not to go into um, Egypt and do, or, or Israel and, and do any terrorist work. They're going into Egypt so they can get food. Sure. So they can buy stuff because sure. they they wiped out the infrastructure. So all over the world, you know, look what they did to Venezuela. I visited Venezuela. Yes. I met with yes. Venezuela. You can't Brother you keep it real. It's, it's not socialism that's messing up Venezuela. It's imperialism. Exactly. Hugo Chavez and the— they were they, everything was going better. I visited Cuba and met with government officials in Cuba. It wasn't communism or socialism. It's imperialism that's hurting these countries.
8: You know, brother Barron, it's, it's sad. And, I, and I'll say these last couple of things so so brother Jay could get on. You know, it's so sad, brother Barron, that you. Uh, elected officials on the city level and yet you got elected officials on the city, state, and, and do I dare say on the federal level, don't have the damn courage because they're a bunch of punks and I'm talking about the men and women who got no backbone to speak truth to power. You know, you, you say you're speaking as a man because you was born a man and you're going to die. man. You're not going to let punk your man like Dr. King said. Don't let everybody take your man away. You can't get Negroes like Hakeem Jeffries, Dwight Evans, Barack Obama. You can't get none of these handkerchief-head boot Negroes to say what you just said about Israel. They scared to death. And that's why the Minister of Prayer, kind of Nation, had the book, had the series which I got called Why Black Leadership Bowed Down to Jewish Pressure. It's a sin and a shame to defeat so many cowardly Negroes who represent the interests of black people. Cave, and you right. got you got this Negro down in Georgia, Warnock. He said, I'm going to be the best Jewish leader for, for Israel. And I'm saying, black people voted it for your black well, look, ass down in Georgia. No. But you thought you are going to be a leader for Israel. Come on, man. First
9: of all, first of all how came Jeffries said, Israel today, Israel tomorrow, Israel mm-hmm. forever. Now, let me yeah, tell you a yeah. little so about that. That's what George Wallace said about segregation. So
16: That's Why would you
9: take a redneck cracker like George Wallace, repeat his for a racist state, like terrorist state, like the state of Israel? You know, they have the whole thing on me, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. I- I'm not surprised. They have a whole dossier on it, and because they would ask me things, and and they would quote me at rallies. When they asked me, what do I think about Minister Farrakhan and all of the things he said, you know, just 'cause I don't, uh, you know, they get on my nerve. I said, I love him, and I love everything he said. Everything he said. You agree with everything? Yes, everything. <laughs>
10: because
9: mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> want to sit there and say I believe with some things and some things I disagree. It's almost like Minister Farrakhan was a litmus test for black leaders. Of course, of you course. Know, <laughs> if you say you like Farrakhan, you're anti-Semitic, you know, <laughs> and so I, I make sure I tell everybody yes, I love him. I love Muammar Gaddafi. I like what he did. In yes, the sir. Day. Yes, I love sir. Robert Mugabe who took yes the land indeed. back took yes. the land back from the racist crackers in Zimbabwe. Yes. No, most African countries don't, the African leaders don't own the land. South Africa, white people still own 80% of the land. Exactly. In Zimbabwe, Mugabe took the land back. Now he's taking the mining industry back, and and they don't like it. And is he perfect? No. Is any national leader perfect? No. Of course Do they not. all have contradictions? Yes, sure. but sure you, know, you, imperialism and capitalism is our major contradiction.
8: And, and I'll say these last two things. I'm off a uh, uh, brother band. You know, for example, right here in Philadelphia, about 25, I'm 60 years old, about 25 years ago, I got banned off a white station because the Jewish host, Cause I I know I'm like no pump myself. I'm just tell you the way it is. I I know the ADL got a dicey on me. Cause they my, my my radio name here. They call me Germantown Joe, and I and they, and they, I, I was on it, you know Israel, and I was dealing, I didn't call nobody no names. I was dealing from historical. Perspective of what they, with how they supported South Africa, killing out people in Soweto and 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 Shopville and places like that. I was putting out all the stuff that they did historically to not only to the Palestinians but to our people. The way how how Sp- Joe what they got from the NWACP Joe Joe uh, Springard, how he was spying on black people, by that's why he, he made uh, he, he caused uh, what's the name the NAACP, um, uh what's the brother you know I'm talking about our ancestor uh, the, the you know what's what's the brother named. Uh, Oh, what is his name? I'm talking about Wb the boys. He calls him the leader of oh, yeah. That's right. And so my point, these things out, you heard the nerve when you tell him the truth. He said, "Get off my show, Joe. You are a racist, filthy, stinking black, anti Semite. Get off my show." And don't call him. He, they banned me off the show. And he was so bad. See, here's the irony, brother. Brother, bad. He was. He was He's this bigot. This no big, racist is dead now. It may be right in hell. He was so bad that a white racist. Who don't even like black people and stuff, and probably don't like them either, but that's beside the book. He actually caught up and defended me. He said, You know, I don't like Joe, but you had no right to talk to him like He has a right to
9: his views. He said, "He said, I, I mean, I'm going well, to brother. My let, me, let me say this to you, brother, because you know, I sure. know we got to move sure. on. But see, mm-hmm. no matter how many names we call Hakeem Jeffrey or anybody else, it doesn't matter. They don't care. What that's I try right. to sell out people, you can call them Uncle Tom, sell out ancient mamas like we do. You can't beat them. And until we can develop a mechanism like we did in East New York, we stopped calling them names and beat them. We took them out of office. Right. And that's the we key. The local the local people that we call them, Uncle Sam we beat them.
8: Yes, indeed. And now,
9: now they, they are trying to you know, get it back. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeffrey, he ran for Congress, and we just put our name in there. Just so he wouldn't have a cakewalk. Man, the whole nation won against me. They had me in uh, five, six News endorsed him, didn't even know him. He got $3 million to my $140,000. I mean, they went crazy with the idea of me being in Congress. I was just running just to get more name recognition sure, and raise some sure. issues. I knew I couldn't beat that machine. But see, but we did win the city council seat. We won the state assembly seat. We won the district leadership, male and female. We won the community board, Operation Power, as our leadership has that. We won with a judge out here. She flipped on us later, but we beat we beat the, the, the machine judge out here, county committees. So you got to beat the machine. That's an article I agree. in my book, right. how to beat the machine. They don't care if you call them names. No, they don't. And if you,
8: Brother Brand, that's why I told Brother Ellen Mitchell all the time on the show. I said, we have got to get educated. People that's aware and politically astute, they got to educate our people to make sure that they vote and vote for conscious and get these, these sellout neighbors out of office. I said, because as long as we keep voting for these type of individuals on the city, state, and federal level, we're going to continue being in the same condition as the people. We got intelligent, conscious black men and women out here that can that can take these offices and move our people forward because some of some our people politically, not politically astute, brother bad. they keep on voting for these sorry individuals. And like the definition of insanity that's because, is, you
9: keep. That's they're not offered alternatives.
8: Exactly. Other than
9: us calling them names and calling That's them right. sellouts. That's not how you get them out of office. We have That's to organize, because pr- revolution is gonna happen from the bottom up, not the top yes. down. That's it's gonna true. happen on That's a grassroots level. So my purpose of being in this, I feel God has called me to be a catalyst in the liberation of my people, whether it's in the Black Panther Party, the Black United Front, City Council, State Assembly, Operation Power, we have to be catalysts, and we have to do more organizing. Yes, for transformation, right. organizing, organizing. organizing. Yes, right now we're mobilizing, and we're having spontaneous responses to police killings. But when the dust clears, we go back to business as usual, and these folks stay in power. Well, we took them out in East New York. We took them out of power,
10: mm-hmm. and,
9: and that's why we can say that we've delivered so much. So, not, uh, not only do I want to, and this is why I wrote the book, not only do I want to deliver material benefits to my people, Milcar Cabral, the great revolutionary uh, from Guinea Bissau, he said that bear in mind, the masses, the people are not fighting for ideas that's in your head. They're fighting for material benefits and a future for their children. Tell Correct. no lie. claim no easy victory. So we got to realize, as correct as we are on our ideology or theology, our people out here, are you going to put some food on the table? You're going to get me a job? That's right. Are you you got sure to deliver. You're right. get some education from my children. And if the colonial black puppets who have the material benefits from the master, if they can deliver it, that's who they voted for.
8: It's true. You're absolutely right, buddy. Thank, I mean, that's okay. So let's go. It's, it's, you're absolutely right. Well, thanks, Bane. I don't know y'all pressed for town, but thank you, brother Ben. You keep doing what you're doing, brother. May okay, I like to bless you brother. you, brother, because I love what you're about, because like I said, we got to keep moving forward. we got to keep struggling. got to keep fighting. Uh, put me on, on, on mute, brother. Elliot.
0: All right. Thanks for your call. Yeah,
8: you're Let's go to
0: 646. 646- 646. Hey, good evening to all. Hey, hey, Charles,
16: have you spoken to your brother, Howard Jordan, lately? yeah
9: well that's my man you know i've been on bai with him a lot i know that he's really upset on how eric is not dealing with the latino community so he's been really blasting eric on that yeah but i haven't spoken to him lately no but i've been reading yeah, some nah, of his that, stuff.
16: That, that was why. that was why i was asking though because you know i was going to say to you in regards to what you were talking about with the city council Coming together collectively to um, keep this Negro in check, you know that's gonna be real interesting. If you could put the um, the coalition together, because I see um, they they didn't give you no committee um, membership or anything, right? Say it again. They didn't give you anything on any of the commi- committees, no,
9: right? No, no, no. Let me, let me explain that to you. First of all, I ain't in there to be on committees or get chairs, I know that. But everybody has to get on committees. What they did is because the we were meeting with about 13, 14 left-leaning, socialist, progressive, all that stuff they talk, independent. I was meeting with them. And I said to first process is rules. We got to change some of the rules. When I first came into the city council in 2001, we had the Fresh Democracy Council and we fought for some rule changes. When my wife eventually got into the city council, some of the rule changes came into existence. For instance, the way the speaker has too much power, they determine how much capital money your district is going to get, how much programmatic money you're going to get, how much money you get for staff, So not too many people want to go against the speaker and whether you'll get a chair of a committee or sit on the committee or whether your legislation will see the light of day or die in committee. That's the power of the speaker. So we took that power away and my wife's um, group got them to say, okay, everybody has to get $5 million in capital money for parks and schools equitable distribution. It's not up to the speaker anymore. Everybody has to get five hundred thousand dollars to give out for program money. It's not up to the speaker anymore. And just about everybody gets four or five hundred thousand to hire staff. So he still or he still has some leeway in that, but it cut that back. So I tried to tell this new group now they're gonna go for speaker and they said, okay, will you join us? I said yes and they said these are the candidates we're looking at these two candidates is not an option because they with real estate and they with the pro and that was the one who's speaking now adrian adams and francisco moya eric adams was pushing the latino francisco moya because blacks had all these positions in government and he wanted to pay back some of the latino like Ruben Diaz, who was a former... Now, black hold on president.
16: right there, Charles. Charles. Hold on a second. Let hey, me oh, finish
9: oh. this real quick. One quick. I'll finish in a minute. So he wanted to pay him back with Ruben uh, uh, Francisco Moya. That didn't work. The sister got it. So I didn't vote for her. And this other sister, who was a black socialist from Harlem, took Bill Perkins, she didn't vote for her either. So what they do is they won't give you a chair. But I am on the Finance Committee, which deals with the budget. I am on the Higher Education Committee, which I used to chair. I'm on the Housing Committee. I'm on the Health Committee. I'm on the Buildings Committee. And I'm on Public Housing Committee. So I got some committees. But whether you get committees or not, we have to unite that group. So I told that group I'm profoundly disappointed with y'all. You all caved in. You all voted for Adrian. Because you wanted to get chairs and signed to committee. I, fine, you did it. Now let's unite, stop the budget that he's gonna to put together for the cops and stop all of his uh real estate projects that he's gonna to try to get past because he doesn't have the power to pass them. So that's where we at with that.
16: No, so the reason the reason why I was saying that is because he didn't appoint any Puerto Ricans at all it seems basically and that was what Howard was, was. How was upset about yeah yep. I, I, I know but my, my my real point was to ask you this with the overabundance of homelessness about to happen within the within the whole city what is in place to deal with the whole homelessness because I'm not A a big developer, but I do real estate through a group that I'm with. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there to purchase properties, you know, give or take. Well, it's not going to be about
9: you purchasing some property and helping Mahoma. No, I'm not not interested in that because I listen to what I'm saying
16: No, no, listen, Charles. Charles. Charles yeah. you gotta listen to what I'm saying. I don't care about purchasing and all of that. What I'm asking you is there's a lot of let's say in the housing projects abandoned apartments and things of that nature. I want to know what are they gonna do with all of the abandoned properties that they have that could maybe transfer into giving you know spaces to the homeless people and in that nature what are they going to do to finally deal with i'm the trying homeless to
9: tell price? you i'm gonna try to tell you but we've we've over the last two years we've been looking at all property available there's a group that i work with and support you know coalition for the homeless that looked at all these properties that can be made into housing for the homeless that's one part the other part you have to have power my district has probably more homeless shelters than most districts in the entire city, in East New York and in Brownsville. We have a, a, we're oversaturated with homeless shelters. We don't have the power to stop them from coming in because the homeless shelters are built on private property. So the private property, they negotiate with the city and they turn their developments into homeless. So I can't stop that. But what we've been able to do, for instance, when a developer comes in, I do have the power to, to sign off or say no to a project. We demand that a percentage of it is for the homeless. For instance, the, Andrew Cuomo's sister, Maria Cuomo, said she wanted to build where her homeless shelter was of 200 people. She wanted to turn that into 300 units of housing. and and cut the block in half and build a 10-story shelter to put them in a new shelter to 200 families. We said no. The mayor came in and tried to get get us to do it instead of give us some stuff for our community. We said no. The speaker of the city council, we said no. Why? Because we went to the zoning committee, seven people, they said they would support us and they would vote the project down. We told them this is a solution. 500 units of affordable housing as we define affordability, and 200 of those units are going for those people in the shelter, and we won. That's what we got. We've gotten over 300 people out of homeless shelters into permanent apartments with rent subsidies.
16: No, I under, Charles, I understand all that, and I commend you for doing it. I think that's the way that it should be done. I live in Harlem. The only reason I don't think that Harlem hasn't become totally gentrified is because of the projects. That's, that's my that's my position on <laughs> you got it. Point, because, you got,
9: you're right about that.
16: Because the reality is, and I'm sorry to say it, white folks don't want to live around a whole bunch of us. But my thing is this. There's a whole bunch of abandoned apartments and things of that nature in the housing projects and other city-owned buildings and things like that. Why hasn't no one come together, put together a program to start some sort of trade situation to teach the children how to repair and redevelop these apartments and things of that nature and then rent it out to the um, to the homeless and things of that nature. Because, you know, the crisis is getting real, real bad, Charles, and it's about to get worse, and nobody's really talking about it, and the mayor don't really care about it. Because I'm telling you, the only thing that doesn't save my group, to be honest with you, is Section 8. If it wasn't for Section 8, we would be in a lot of trouble, but we're not. So it's well, let, me you I don't
9: per- 8. let me tell you about Section 8. Here, this is a problem we have in, in public housing. They're privatizing them with the RAD and PAC, PAC program, and they, they're turning Section 9 money, which is public money, that can't go to private developers, and they turn it into Section 8 so private developers can take over public housing.
16: Right. Right, yeah, I that know. That's no the problem. problem. I, 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 I'm watching the, I'm watching the game. But people like you, Charles, gotta come together with other progressive minds like yourself, and really, really, honestly do something about this homeless crisis. Because this is the reason why you got people hurting people and doing all of the things that they doing. And ain't nobody in the position to, 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 to address it you know yes, nobody's you doing anything when people, when,
9: when, when people speak in absolute like ain't nobody doing anything and you got to do something in my little city council seat we got to really take a reality check and do what you could do with the power you have what we can do and what we did is get 3 to 400 families out of shelters into permanent housing but that's a little drop in the bucket in my little corner in my little district we now have to put pressure on Eric Adams to now, what you mentioned, and you're correct, those abandoned programs, those properties, they should be put together, not for his real estate backers to have 80% market housing, 20% affordability, which is not real affordability, and then 5% for the homeless. That's what Eric well, no, I do. and it has to take the city council me. to stop him from doing that. It can't be Charles Barron getting together with some people. I'm just the one city council member in a a small district, and I can do as much as I can for my oversaturated district with homeless people, and we've gotten 400. I want you to realize that 400 people out of homeless
16: situations. Oh, no, no, Charles. That is major. Okay. You're the example for New York, Charles. I've never questioned my whole thing. No, I, I just want us to really realize the games that are being played. Like you were talking about, Sharpton, Rubenstein. You talking about Trump and all of those people. They just play the game a little better mm-hmm. than others, and because the system is set up the way that it is, it allows for them to get away with being right. the hamlet cool. chases in the gatekeepers. But no, I really think that you are the prime example. Other city council women and men should look at on how they should govern their community. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I'm very happy with the work that you're doing. And, you know, we got to figure it out because, listen, we're we right. from New York. We're in New York. New York well, is going right. to get worse with Adams in because he's not as good as Dinkins was, and Dinkins was trash as well. I'm concerned, but listen, y'all have a good, good night and Charles, Be safe and keep up. The thank good you, work. man. Thank you. Thank
0: Thanks you for your so contribution. Much for your Brother Byron, Richard. We're coming to the end of another program. Uh, Brother Byron, I um, yes, sir. <laughs> want to thank you for being with us. Uh, before we leave, I uh, want you to give out the, uh, way that people can get the book again. And Richard, you had some uh, other things that you want to mention before we got...
9: No, that's... that's... Well, uh, first of all, that's... I want to thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, uh. the book is Speaking Truth to Power. When you go to the Barnes & Noble um, website, put in author Charles Barrett because there's several books called Speaking Truth to Power. So if you put in when the Barnes & Noble thing comes up and it says... You know, search search for author Charles Barron, and that'll come up. Secondly, I want to say that the first batch of the book was printed by a black press, black classic press. My brother, my Panther colleague, um, uh, Paul Coates, we went to Africa together. He was in the Panther Party together. He has a publishing company called Black Classic Press, but they don't do print on demand. So what I did is I bought a bulk load from him. So from people in the neighboring in New York, we can sell them the bulk load. But for the most people, we have bonds and Nobles. We're not doing um, Amazon because they're just horrible. But bonds and Nobles, not like they are a thousand times better. But Amazon is the worst thing on in the whole mm-hmm. <laughs> publishing business or in that whole retail business. So anyway... Right. You can get it on Bonds and Noble, just put in Charles Barron author. And then if you're in the New York area and close to be a call, and we can make some arrangements to get uh, a book to you.
0: Brother Barron, uh, thanks for being with us. We'll look to, uh, kind of pick your brain when these things pop up. Um, uh, we know that a lot of things going to be going on up there in New York and these other cities, uh, we're gonna have independent black parties and uh, on the program, mm-hmm. and uh, we might have you involved in panel discussion with some of them to kind of develop strategies how to move up. Yeah, I would with.
9: appreciate that. We do great work with Amali Yessatella.
0: Yes, he's the, been on with us. African
9: people, social, that's my man. Okay, and we have a we have a black radical school that we every uh, once so often we come together and we're developing a black radical independent school. Um, and then yashatela and the black is back coalition have developed so i'm a part of that curriculum i'm also working with the uh december 12th movement you know viola plumber and yes. Wally Clay and the late coltrane chimarenga you know they have been very uh, helpful and instrumental in and in dealing with us in electoral politics so um it's been a, a, a great run with them. And then we have groups like Man Up, Inc., and our neighborhood brother, Andre T. Mitchell, who's doing some great work with Cure Violence. So, you know, we have some good things going for us.
0: And, and you know, if you um, – I'll I'll be touching base with you because some of the folks that are involved in power, some of the young uh, uh, people that you've been training – uh. They might have opinions and things like that. They can come on the program. We can talk about it.
9: Oh, you know, I'm glad you said that. I would love that. I would love for you to have my uh, young
0: people on.
9: I would really love that. Good. That would be great.
0: We'll make arrangements.
9: Please do. Oh, that would be awesome. I'd really appreciate that. Good.
0: (laughs) I'll be in touch with you soon, brother.
9: Okay, man. All right. Take care
5: now.
0: Thank you. Take
9: care. Thank you all so much. I appreciate y'all.
0: Talk to you soon. Richard, yes, yes. Interesting discussion, um, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I'll probably get my call tomorrow because I'm looking forward to some of the young people that's been training uh, in their electrical in their electric elect, <clears throat> electric board. I'm getting tongue tied in their uh, uh, electrical college mm. uh, to kind of bring them on, get their opinions on what's going on, their approaches. Uh, towards being in elected politics or even striving to be in leadership of these communities, which is a different thing. And and we can see that uh, the way Charles Brown views being uh, in politics is different than uh, uh, some of the other folks that we uh, realize that are involved in politics, but their approaches, their missions, their objectives, very different. Yeah. So it'll be interesting uh, moving forward. Richard, before we uh, wind things down, I just want to uh, give the lineup on time for an Awakening Media, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspectives with Brother Oshi, Always interesting dialogues and topics on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on, Monday evenings, and uh, I guess they'll be starting soon. I'll keep you abreast, but I'll just keep announcing them, uh, 8 to 9 uh, Black Therapy Central with host Dr. Mawia Combine and Dr. Kamal Combine and later uh, Monday evenings from 9 to 10, the first and third Mondays Conversation Reparations and Cobra's program. That's the first and third Mondays of the month. On Tuesday, 8 to 10 p.m., Black Reality Think Tank with Dr. William Rogers. On Wednesdays, It's Our Time, the Black Farmers Program from 8 to 9, the West Georgia Cooperative. And from 9 to 10, Black Agenda Report with Dr. David Muhammad. On Fridays, Time for an Awakening is back from 8 until, and on Saturdays from 7 to 9, the elders of San Kofa with Brother Alfonso Watkins. Uh, also, uh, make an announcement too, coming in uh, January 25th from 6 to 9, Reparations Means Repair, a multi generational panel discussion among black professionals to discuss reparations, repair. February. Say that again.
5: February, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's what I said. February 25th. Did you hear me?
5: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's what I said. February 25th. I'm only sure I said February, didn't
5: I? Yeah. No, I, well, I thought you said January.
0: Go ahead. Oh, okay. A multi-generational panel discussion among black professionals to discuss reparations, repair. And repertory justice. Uh, the panel includes uh, Brother Marcus Jackson, uh, Sister, oh boy, I can't even. Uh, what's that, Vanilla? Uh, uh Vernella, Randall. Mm. Do you you know? Uh, am I pronouncing her name right, Richard?
5: I believe that's it.
0: Okay, uh, Brother Olman Wally Africa, uh, Sister Brianna Moore, and uh, Brother Zane Booker. Uh, as part of the panel so far, and that's January 25th, uh, 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, we plan to uh, broadcast it on time for an Awakening Media, also on the bb 2 dot com. So you'll get more and more uh, details on it moving forward. So just put that in the calendar. That's uh, February 25th, 6 to 9 p.m. And that's it for this evening. I want to thank everybody for participating in the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace.
20: been playing.